Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Ron Kluwer from Gorman, uh, USA, and John Till from Family Partnerships. And I'm going to have them introduce themselves a little bit more uh, uh, further as we get into some of our provocative questions we have planned for this afternoon. Dr. White, why don't we get this started? Yeah, great. So again, Ron and John, let me add my welcome to each of you. And I'm just going to ask you, maybe we can start with having you tell us a little bit about yourselves and from your perspective. Um, what does it mean to be, one might say, a white man in America? What's that, what's that perspective for, that you bring? And uh, let's see, why don't we start with John? Well, uh, hello. Uh, so my name is John Till, and I'm uh, Senior VP of Strategy and Innovation at the Family Partnership in Minneapolis. Um, my work is mostly focused these days on um, brain science and bringing a, a, a two-generation or whole-family approach to the work our organization does with children and families. To your question, I'll, I'll give you a brief example of how my day started today. So we were in an uh, executive team meeting, and uh, there was a presentation going on. It was a good presentation. But uh, I also had dogs that were out of control in the house. And <laughs> so I t had to turn my camera and microphone off several times to see what one of the dogs was up to. And uh, during or after the meeting, I noticed a text message from a coworker who's a, a younger woman of color. I'm 60. She's in her late 30s. Uh, and she said, how come you get a pass? on multitasking during our team meetings. <laughs> and I texted her back, well, maybe that's white privilege. <laughs> uh, it, could, it could also be age privilege, but you know, I'm open to that. Uh, so that's, you know, so I, I guess this all starts with an awareness of self in relation to others, to put it in social work terms. You have to know who you are and who else is in the room and how they may be experiencing things differently from you. Maybe I'll leave it there for now. Okay, thanks, John. Ron, how about yourself? Your thoughts with regards to just your perspective, sharing a little bit first about yourself, and then uh, from your perspective, what does it mean to be a white man in America? Sure, I'm happy to, and thanks for having us, sir. I think this is always a great discussion. I knew uh, I knew Dr. Howard when he was Mr. Howard and uh, became Dr. Howard when we worked together at uh, then the Alliance. And I know John and uh, yourself back from those days. So thanks. Thanks for having us um, in my in my day job. Now, I uh, the Illinois market president for Garmin and Company. We're a community developer focused on affordable housing and solutions to help communities uh, achieve their best selves yes. as a community as a whole um, and really help help the folks who live within their uh, boundaries to uh, achieve their best lives. So, um, you know, I, I used to talk a lot more about this when one, when uh, Andre and I were together and, uh, and I still am in this space. But when we talk about being a white man in America today, um, quite honestly, there are times I feel embarrassed uh, about it because of the way politically our country had been going and uh, and the privilege that comes with, with being in white skin, particularly as an older male, as John said, age privilege, um, married with male privilege, married with white privilege, um, you know, our, our, our life seemingly can't get much, uh, much uh, easier. But um, I, I think that being aware is, as John said, is so incredibly important. And um, really thinking through, at least from my perspective, how do I use those privileges that I mentioned um, to share power and share 
um, in in really exchanging the floor or or giving the floor, so to speak, to other people um, who don't have those privileges or or aren't able to um, take command of the floor, basically just by you know chances of birth, right? Um, so I you know I, I try to appreciate who I am and and where I've where I've been and where I've come from. But again, as I started this, some days that's a difficult thing. And I don't mean, you know, woe is the old white guy. But, you know, it, it, we've, we've not done a good job as, as, you know, as, as individuals representing white men across the nation of really being the best people um, out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for, to both of you for sharing your perspectives. Um, Andre, your thoughts with regards to where you'd like uh, to go next? Yeah, let, me, let me pick up where, where Ryan kind of left off. Uh, at uh, so Ryan, if I were to ask you this question, how has being a white man impacted your life for leadership journey? What has that meant for you? What does that mean for you now? I guess at present. Sure. So um, happy to share that. And I, I think again, understanding who I am and and knowing where I I've come from. Um, you know, I I was maybe a bit of a rebellious teenager. Um, you know, I, I came from a home where my um, my parents had me at a very young age. They were 16 and 17. Um, later in life, when I was 16, they divorced. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they had all these goals for me. And I was rebelling against those goals because sometimes that's what teenagers do. And uh, and in that, you know, I, I did um, graduate high school. I went off to college and then I dropped out because they wanted me to keep going. And so I, I rebelled. Um, and it wasn't until actually I was in my 40s that I finally uh, received my degree. I was already a CEO when I got my degree. And so I worked uh, at the Rockford Housing Authority in a leadership role, having been in other leadership roles in my career over the years. And I, I think, honestly, if we're going to be absolutely truthful about it, I, I think the color of my skin and the fact that I was a male with a network of people who were connected is the, you know, is the primary reason for my success. I'd like to think I work hard. I like to think I contribute, but I don't think I would have ever gotten the opportunity if I wasn't white and male. Hmm. Thanks for sharing, Ron. Very, very insightful. John, how about you? How has being a white man impacted your life leadership journey? Mm Well, it, it probably in much the same way that Ron described, it's it's made my life one where I didn't have to ask a lot of questions if something didn't go my way about whether this was due to my race. Uh, so that's that's one important thing. Um, I will say that um, when my career started, one of my first tasks was to build an HIV education program in a women's prison in upstate New York. It's actually one of the largest women's prisons in the country. And what I found when I walked in there, I thought I was pretty woke and aware, but it was immediately like a change in how my world looked because all of a sudden I was in an environment where the majority of the people were people of color except for the corrections officers who tended to be white and rural. Um, and that meant learning, you know, learning, learn, coming into an environment where I did not hold the knowledge, where my communication skills were not the norm and where I had to make a lot of, you know, where I made a lot of mistakes. And fortunately, you know, the inmates were um, really appreciative of the fact that somebody was there to work with them who was not a CO or a prison employee. And uh, they forgave my mistakes and helped me learn. I mean, so so that's part of privilege too, is, you know, having this experience where, someone who is not part of the dominant group forgives you and helps you learn, right? How often do people in the dominant group do that for people in, um, in the groups that maybe they, they, they don't view as their equals? 
right? That's an ongoing problem in America that's gone on for centuries. Mm-hmm. So that's another way that privilege benefited me in my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if I could add to that mm-hmm. even, um, expand what John was saying. So very similar experience I entered into, you know, from private real estate development, I, I felt the need to, you know, do more for our community. And I, I uh, want to do real estate development for our housing authority and within, you know, a few short months was actually the CEO of the organization and um, predominantly uh, served predominantly black populations in poverty, living in public housing with a predominantly white staff. So very much same power system, same power dynamics. Um, And, you know, helping our team understand why when we work to, you know, work to help theoretically help people they didn't want our help right and and i learned a great deal um from our you know our families who who lived with us um and i'm very thankful because it it was at first um daunting to try to you know try to understand how i'm going to influence change here with Mm -hmm. a huge lack of trust by the folks we were working to Mm -hmm. serve and, um, you know, they heard it before from everybody who came before me, who, you know, everybody who looked like me. Um, but, you know, things never got better. And so the grace that they afforded me and my role when they didn't have to um, was was incredible. And I, I think, you know, allowed me to grow as an individual, but allowed me to better serve and and open pathways for all of our residents and ultimately our staff as well to succeed. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much, John and Ron, for just sharing so openly your um, experiences. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you if there's any other experiences you want to share that might shed some light on your um, impact and journey. And then also, You know, sometimes this space can be a difficult space for white men and others to figure out how white men actually can contribute. So how do we create a space of psychological safety that will welcome and engage um, persons who are white and particularly white men in this work around advancing equity, diversity and inclusion? So please stay with us and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, 
please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swhite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we are back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Um, So, John or Ron, was there anything either of you wanted to add? I think, you know, as I think through my whole career, there have been plenty of opportunities where privilege has played a a role in um, just maybe having a more visible voice and a a voice that's heard more often Mm -hmm. and learning is you know as i've matured to um just often be quiet and listen just because the room will allow my voice doesn't mean i have to use it Mm -hmm. um when i could surrender it to others who would be better to be heard um and i think that's probably the the greatest and most valuable lesson in the last Mm -hmm. probably five to six years i've learned in my career Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate your sharing there. John, anything you'd like to add? Sure. Um, sort of the opposite, that it, there are times when uh, privilege can make a big difference. And that is often seen when there is a situation where a number of people are in denial that racism is playing a role or some other form of bigotry. And a a white person with some power saying like, I think this has to do with racism can make a big difference in bringing credibility and attention to the issue. And it's really unfortunate, Um, but that's, that's, that's one of the ways that white supremacy works in our society. Um, But there is a balancing act with how much you speak and um, what voices are at the table in our organization, we're, we've paid a lot of attention to building uh, a new equity, diversity, and inclusion council that includes all levels of the organization from um, staff who are individual contributors, direct care workers, to managers, to just two executives, and a couple of board members. And that the addition of the board members has been equally important for moving our EDI work forward because board members bring a voice sometimes that um, managers and staff don't bring. Uh, mm-hmm. That's an important community voice in terms of the, the organization and its, its direction and the actions it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I uh, can appreciate that from um, both of you. When we think about bringing more white men into this conversation and helping it to feel safe for them to lean in and um, engage, um, what are your thoughts with regards to, you know, what do white men need in order to understand, support, and feel this sense of psychological safety to partner in advancing equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace and in the community. Uh, John, why don't we start with you? Your thoughts? Sure. Well, first of all, try to do some homework on your own. Uh, You know, there's, you know, the United States has been around more than a couple hundred years now. There's lots of history that's been written about this country. and white people need to read about black history. They need to read about the history of indigenous people in this country. They need to read about the civil rights movement. Uh, They need to read about um, other kinds of social movements that exist in this country. And that doesn't mean that once you've read those books, you're suddenly an expert on other people, on other cultures or on everything, right? There's, There's, people with plenty of lived experience whose voices are totally critical to to what we're trying to do to create a more equitable and just society. But one of the places you have to start is by doing your reading. The second thing you have to do is what might what used to be called active listening. Can you actually talk less? So don't do what I'm doing right now, but ask ask questions um, and 
in particular, when someone makes a statement about something that's that's important, when it when they're describing their reality, see if you can paraphrase back to them what they said, and then ask a clarifying question if it's important to do so. But people need to hear that you're hear and see that you're listening and that you're understanding what they're saying, and uh, they may be willing to clarify what you heard if you if you in fact misheard. Uh, and so it's it's really important to be actively involved in listening and open to critical feedback about whether you're getting it or not. Mm-hmm. And not have a lot of ego tied up in being right, mm-hmm. being first, mm-hmm. or or knowing the most. Mm-hmm. So John, I'm gonna ask you um, for yourself and then maybe even for Ron, just um, the fact that you are willing to lean in and have these conversations, um, what helped make it feel safe and okay for you to do so? If I were to just, before I moved around, just ask you, what, what helped you feel psychologically safe to engage in um, conversations about race? Well, the first person who hired me to do work, I mean, the prison work was a Latina woman who grew up in the Midwest uh, mm-hmm. and was uh very conscious of race and the impact of race on her family. For instance, her parents not letting her speak Spanish Mm -hmm. uh, and the impact that had on her. And her boss was an African-American woman and her boss was an African-American woman. So um, my early career was in an organization which it did have a white guy at the top, but Mm -hmm. it was an organization where women of color had a lot of leadership. And Mm -hmm. what mattered there was that I screwed up a lot early in my career. I made big mistakes. They weren't all racist incidents, but they were just like big, dumb mistakes, like Mm -hmm. pouring a whole bowl of noodles onto your laptop screen. And one of my bosses, Velma, who may she rest in peace, like it took a lot of courage to call her and tell her, hey, I just destroyed my laptop. And, and she said to me, John, you're worth more than your laptop. So that's stuck with me all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and those leaders' sense of what quality looked like has stuck with me all these years, too. What do good services look like? Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's kind of what mm-hmm. made me be able to take risks is seeing that there were leaders of color who who um, respected me and treated me with respect and forgave my mistakes and had next steps for me, all the kinds of things that employees Mm -hmm. want their supervisor to be able to give to others. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, I love that. And I think I heard that that thread in your earlier comments too, just the grace and sometimes a willingness to extend grace as we have conversations, as we have engagements, interactions, activities, um, that we'd be willing to extend that grace to each other for the learning. Ron, I'd love to hear from you too. It looks like we have to do another commercial break, but when we come back, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So Andre, glad um, that we fixed the, um, the feedback uh, piece mm-hmm. and that you're back with us as well. So we're gonna go on and take a quick break and be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service. 
trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we are back with more on Leadership Matters, discussing some of the needs white men may have and roles they could play in advancing equity, diversity, and inclusion. Ron Kluwer, Kluwer, uh, Ron, am I saying your last night correctly? Is it? You got it, Kluwer. Oh, great, Kluwer, Illinois Market President for Gorman and Company, and John Everett Teal, Senior Vice President of of, um, Strategy and uh, Innovation for the Family Partnership in Minnesota. So... Ron, why don't I just toss it back over to you? Sure. So as you know, as I think about this, and Andre knows, you know, we've we've been able to have uh, outside conversations back in the day um, that I tend to light up on questions like this because I understand as a human, we all need to feel safe for us to feel like we belong. And I I look at this, and I very much appreciate a growing white. Um, movement to assist in the advancement of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I I think that's all wonderful. And I think we absolutely need to keep going in that direction. It's the, you know, feeling safe part, right? Like I I don't think we'll ever feel safe in a space like this. And and I think we can feel safe with each other, the four of us in here. Um, I think we know each other well enough that, you know, we we all know where we are and how we feel about um, the, the topic. But for new folks coming into the space, I'm sure it's daunting, right? But I think the way I always looked at it is whomever I'm in conversation with, if it's an individual of color or a group of people of color, I recognize they haven't felt safe most of their lives, right? Because of the, you know, the conditions that we as as white folks have created. So I, I struggle with that when we say we have to make make all white guys feel safe so they'll join the movement. But at the same time, I recognize we need to make all white guys feel safe. And so I, I, I you know, I, I poke that probably harder than I need to. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if if you're really genuine about the work you want to do and, and we really want to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion, just know that you're not always going to feel safe. And that's OK, because mm-hmm. I don't think everybody's always going to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I, I think it would be easy to say there's no wrong. Um, there could be wrong. Just don't do harm. Right. And so so as we think about those things, um, John had some very good comments about, um, you know, his his support team in his old role. You know, they had his back. It was based on respect and it was based on understanding. I think we all come to the table with that. We will feel more safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but, yeah, there, there should be some uncomfortable times when we talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can appreciate that, uh, Ron. And um, as you're sharing, I'm thinking um, a number of things and probably one of my fabulous tapes that I play over and over again um, is around compassion 
And one mm -hmm. of the things that I heard you say is like, we all know each other. And I think as we engage and have interactions with each other from human to human, and we, you know, compassion is about suffering with. So are we willing to sit with and um, go through the process of what John talked about earlier with regards to listening and yep. listening at that deeper level, what I really want to understand you, I really want to feel you, I really want to get what's important to you so I can figure out how we can help each other. Uh, to move forward. So love that. Thank you, Andre. Yeah. Just toss it to you. Great discussion. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, Ron, I'm, I'm going to pose this to both you, uh, Ron, and then to John. Um, as you think about uh, why should white men care about advancing equity, diversity, and, and inclusion? I, I mean, many respects, as you talked about before, you've got it made. You've got the privilege thing going on, the power thing going on. What's your vested interest in uh, really thinking about why white men should care about equity, diversity, and inclusion? It's gonna sound silly, um, perhaps, uh, but if we really care about the country we live in and um, our ability to be the best that we can be, all people need to be at the table and have a role in our, our joint and several success, right? And so, um, I imagine the country we could be or could have been had we not taken access away from black and brown people over the years to, you know, to have the same access I had to education, to jobs, to healthcare, to safe neighborhoods, right? Had we not done that, imagine who we would be, right? And, you know, utopia? No, it's absolutely, to me, a moral issue. And that, you know, this is now I'm going to, you know, start preaching on Rick, um, because I get so frustrated about, about the past. And so there's that fine line of being a white savior and being a white protagonist or antagonist or ally, right? And and I, I think that's that is where if we could get past it's about me and it's about and get to it's about us, we could be an amazing nation where all people are successful, right? And so my role, like I, I've always worked, especially in the nonprofit and government space, where I hope I show up every day so someday I never have to show up again, right? But, so if we're really going to make the change we allege we want to make, someday we should all not have a role. And so if that's the case, um, my role is to eliminate my role. And so um, make sure that everybody is is achieving the things we allege we want them to achieve and they have the opportunity to do that and if we can do that as a nation we all win so it's not about me losing and you winning it's about us all winning and and i think that's it and it gets to be the discussion about you know that you and i used to have andre and you would always put me in a spot where I felt more calm because I get worked up over it um, because I, I would focus on it from a moral issue. And you would say, but Ron, what's the business case? And I was like, I get the business case, but you know, damn the business case. Why aren't we doing it because it's right. But now I get it. I'm an equal blend of business case and moral Andre, thanks to you. But, um, but, it, but yeah, I, I think it, it's good for all of us. I don't lose if, if black men and women or Hispanic men and women or, you know, any other race of people, I don't lose if we all win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. John, same question to you. And, and if you can expand even on win-lose situation, I mean, someone's got to win those, someone's got to lose. I mean, what's your whole take on this? Well, um, so I guess I look at it a little bit differently. One is there's a family angle on this. I have African-American family members. I have African-American family members, one of whom was a young man of middle school age who drowned under mysterious circumstances. And the police investigation of his death was uh, not credible to the family to the white members of the family and to the African-American members of the family. So there's a personal case to be made. Another personal case to be made for it is I live in a, a multicultural immigrant household. My partner is Filipino. He's brown. When we go around in Minnesota, particularly in Minnesota, 
we got stared at. Uh, he in particular gets stared at because people are trying to figure out, oh, are you American Indian? Are you Asian? What are, are you Hispanic? What are you, right? Because he's brown and Asian. So, so there's personal reasons to want to live in a more equitable society where racism is off everyone's back. Uh, on, a, on an even more personal level, my drive to and from work is pretty short. It's about three miles. And when I'm two thirds of the way there, I'm at the intersection where George Floyd was murdered by the Minneapolis police. And that had a tremendous impact on our community. Uh, there was an uprising. There was an uprising in our, in our community. There, was, there were uprisings around the country because of it. And just today, if you've read the New York Times today, uh, if you just Google Minneapolis police today, uh, what you'll find is uh, a new report from the Minneapolis Department of Human Rights, which says that the police in Minneapolis have racist practices and continue to have racist practices. And just one example of that is that 19% of the population in Minneapolis are African-American but 63% of the use of force by the Minneapolis Police Department is against African-Americans. Imagine that disproportionality. I have only been pulled over by the police once in the 24 years I've lived in Minnesota, and they let me go with a warning. I don't know any African-Americans that I work with who have been pulled over by the police who got let go with a warning. At the, at, the, at the least, they got let go with a lot of humiliation. So there's a business case to be made too, um, which is, you know, I work in a nonprofit organization and uh, particularly since the uprising, this was true before then, but after the murder of George Floyd, our funders got very serious about racial equity, in particular racial equity with respect to the composition of board, with the composition of executive leadership, wanting to see changes so that the composition of leadership in organizations reflected the communities that we're serving. Because if that is the case, services will be better for those individuals that are being served by the organizations. And so that's part of the business case. If you want funding in the future, you need to change or you need to align with the community that you're serving at all levels of your organization. Very good. Dr. White, what are you thinking? I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing and I'm, I'm thinking like on multiple different levels. Um, you, know, you know, I think as a parent, when you model, I, everybody knows my, those who know me have heard me say a zillion times, the culture becomes whatever's being modeled, supported, and rewarded. And I think as a parent, when you have the most power in the household, mm -hmm. if you're modeling compassion, then you don't really have to worry when you become an elder, because now when you get older, your, your children have learned to be compassionate. So I think when we can think of whoever has the most power in a structure, you know, how would I want to be treated if I didn't have the power? Because we know that these things shift over time. I may be on the top, today, but if I'm on the bottom tomorrow, how will I be treated as it relates to the influence um, that I have? So I think that there's a wonderful business case um, and a reason for all of us to really care about um, advancing equity, diversity, inclusion, because we never know where we're going to be um, and when the sands shift. And if what we have embraced is everyone treating everyone in a kind way, then I think we are all be in a better place. Looks like we do have to go to commercial break, but when we come back, Ron and John, I'd like to ask both of you to maybe think about and share your thoughts with regards to what would be a helpful role specifically for white men to play in advancing equity, diversity, and inclusion. How might they best be allies? And then you've shared some of that, but any final thoughts? Stay with us, we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one. Hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hey, we are back with more on Leadership Matters. Ron, I'm going to toss it over to you first just to share just your thoughts with regards to um, really honing in on uh, anything you add as to what white men might do to really play a um, helpful role in advancing equity, diversity, and inclusion or to best be allies. Your thoughts? I think, you know, John had mentioned the the murder of George Floyd and so much since, you know, the world has been so impacted by that. You see so many people now stepping out into the space of diversity and equity and inclusion as a result, which is um, refreshing to see. And, uh, and I think the role that, you know, that, that white men, particularly white men in positions of power can play is, um, is really one of probably the most valuable leadership a leader could provide. That is to create the space within that space, support and be very vocal in a, in a very positive and compassionate way that this is important. And, and when we declare that importance, the support throughout everybody's journey to get there, right? That, that this space is safe. This place is safe. This conversation, you know, may have some bumps and, and wrinkles in it, um, but we're all safe and we're all going to learn from it. And then listen, right? So I, I think, you know, the engaging all voices um, comments we always used to talk about and still do, but engaging the voices um, that are folks who traditionally haven't been at the table, mm-hmm. uh, different ages, different, you know, different races. Um, if, if we're talking particularly about, you um, about race and BIPOC advancement, making sure that that's where we're focused, right? And and have the live voices there and give them the safe place to talk and to lead on, you know, on their own, but be there, you know, to be their allies, also be their voice, having listened intently, learned deeply and connected deeply, be, be the voice to others and carry that outside and then engage others to be part of, of that growth. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best, you know, that's the best we can um, offer as, uh, as older white men is mm-hmm. to, to truly be authentic in that work. Thank you, Ron. John, your thoughts. Well, I, I think the biggest danger is complete inaction and paralysis. I have a colleague, he's a bit older than me. He's a white guy and he's, he's shared that he's afraid to say anything for fear of offending someone. And, you know, what I, what I told him is, you know, you're much kinder than I am. Like you apologize (laughs) 
frequently to people. You're nice. You know, I'm, I'm none of those things really. And so what I encourage him to do is to lead with those strengths because his humanness comes across and he can, he can learn. And, you know, I was, I was just writing down what I think are the key things that, that white people in leadership roles can do. One is, one is to ask uh, before you act. Two is to listen to what people have to say. I think three is to, to authorize. So if, if there's a way that you can enable positive change, that's better than not acting and not doing anything. And you, so use your power wisely, but use it to move things forward in the right way and apologize. You know, the, the reality is that we have a lot of conversations and they don't always go our way. And sometimes we don't speak as we would if we were more thoughtful and reflective and empathetic right? Sometimes we're speaking in the moment. So I think it's good to apologize. I don't go around apologizing all day long, but if somebody calls me out on something, I'm going to try to listen to what they're saying, try to understand what they're, the point they're trying to get across and um, ask clarifying questions if I need to and apologize if I need to. But the important thing is, you know, as somebody who's done a lot of community-based research, um, at the end of one study, community members told us, you know, research is good, but we've been researched to death. The important thing is to do something with what you have learned. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, that's really what we're called upon to do as, as white people in leadership roles. We know something mm-hmm. and we have limited time in which to make our contribution. So let's do something good. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you, Andre. No, this is power conversation. I always have a quick, quirky question to ask, and I know it's not part of perhaps the script, but uh, John, Ryan, in 30 seconds, I mean, what would you say to an angry um, BIPOC member who uh, is just angry at whiteness? Um, what would you say? What, what would the words be? I hear John saying he would apologize. I mean, what would you? I mean, what would you say to someone who's angry from the BIPOC community related to uh, white men? So first, I wouldn't say I understand you're angry because I think angry is a trigger word in talking with with particularly black men. Um, I would, you know, I would say I hear your frustration and help me understand the source um, because I may not know. And in listening um, to that, you know, just listening, because I I think at the end of the day, um, you know, offering up a solution, I don't know what it's like to be a a black male or a black female or any other, but anybody else but a white guy. But um, I see, and I've understood the horrible things we've done to people as a nation and as individuals and as systems, right? And so recognizing that, the extent of my knowledge and and really listening so understanding that there's frustration get to the source of the frustration and listen um, I, I think would be most important i do want to add and i don't want to take up too much time here but john you said something about apologizing that really struck a chord with me last week and my daughter and i went through the holocaust museum in skokie illinois and they had a stonewall exhibit a traveling stonewall exhibit on um, the advancement of gay rights and one thing up on the wall said in at last and an apology at last in june of 2019 new york police commissioner james o'neill apologized mm-hmm. to the lgbt community stating that the 1960 raid on Stonewall that the actions were that were taken by NYPD were wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know that as a nation we truly have ever apologized mm-hmm. to large groups of people for the, the struggles we've caused. And that mm-hmm. to me was powerful because I, I said to my daughter, I'm like, so will we ever apologize, you know, to, you know, Native Americans or to, you know, black and brown folks like that? It, it's a good thing he did. But we're in such a litigious society admitting that it wasn't right 
he he did the right thing. Others need to do that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ron. Mm-hmm. John, your thoughts. Well, to your to your point, Ron, Canada is just starting to do that with Indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Catholic Church is just starting to do that with Indigenous communities in Canada. And, and there's a long way to go on this. And there's a history of the call for reparations in the U.S. That's right. part of this conversation. And it's not all about apologizing either. I mean, if, if somebody is visibly upset at, that, at a moment, uh, I'm not going to try to reason with them. I'm going to just try to be with them, sit down with them, offer them water, help them calm down a bit so that um, if 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 they're upset about something that just happened to them and it's within my control, that environment, like I want to understand what happened so that I can do something about it. So it's it, it's under it's understanding what's the source of somebody's anger and upset, too, without being insistent or overly probing or, you know, just giving people the room to be themselves and to share how they're doing at that moment. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. I've enjoyed this conversation, Dr. Way. This is great. I mean, Ryan, John, we mm-hmm. need to take this discussion on the road and have it across the country. So very powerful. <laughs> Happy to. Your um, final thoughts from yourself, Dr. Dre. No, I think what both John and Ryan have said is what, again, we continue to push and promote, right? I think it's important to recognize historically what has been atrocious and uh, what's been done to folks based upon the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their disability. We have to acknowledge that. And that's real. That's, that happened. It's still happening. But I also am a firm believer in understanding that if we're going to move forward, all of us have to be part of this journey, right? This isn't just about black and brown folk. This is about white folk too, right? This is about uh, folks with disabilities and um, folks of different ages and gender. I mean, all of us, we all have to be part of this journey. And I think that is really critical as we think about the real solution in terms of moving forward, so. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Dre. Always a pleasure to uh, co-host with you. And Ron and John, just uh, really appreciate your authentic voices in this conversation today. And as always, we appreciate our listening audience and invite you to join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. or download podcast at your convenience and just continue to tune in to Leadership Matters. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.